Welcome to the Steady Hand Podcast. I'm Scott Ronalds, joined with Tom Bradley. We're broadcasting from Steady Hand World Headquarters at uh, West 3rd Avenue and Burrard Street in Vancouver. We'll start off this session with some news on the company front. We published a new white paper in May on the five essential elements to being a better investor. The paper is available on our website, and we'd encourage all our clients to give it a read this summer. We also upgraded the performance information on your account statement and added some new features to our website, including a comparison tool whereby you can compare SteadyHands offering to various other service providers. And we've added a link on our homepage to our current thinking. Now, turning to the markets, it was a mixed quarter for stocks. The Japanese market was once again strong. It was up 10%, but other Asian markets lost ground. The U.S. gained 3%, while Canada was down 4%, and European indexes were mixed. The resource sector was a notable area of weakness, as the price of gold and silver fell over 20%, and natural gas lost a little over 10%. The market saw a spike in volatility in the quarter, following comments from the U.S. Federal Reserve that it may start to ease its bond-buying program later this year. The program, which has been coined QE3, or Quantitative Easing 3, has been providing stimulus for the economy in the form of artificially low interest rates. Rates around the globe jumped on the news, and bond yields climbed to levels not seen since 2011. In fact, the 10-year Government of Canada bond yield rose from around 1.65% in late April to nearly 2.5% at the end of the quarter, And that's a pretty significant jump in a low interest rate environment. And with rising yields comes falling bond prices. In fact, the Canadian bond market turned in its worst quarter since June 1994, falling by uh, 2.4%. So there were two key happenings in the quarter. Number one, a spike in volatility. And number two, a run-up in bond yields. We'll now turn to how this uh, impacted the funds and your portfolio. Tom, why don't you lead us off with the income fund? Well, Scott, the income fund wasn't immune to the weakness in the bond market. Uh, It declined 2.6%, which was its first quarterly decline in quite some time. Now, after distributions are included, the fund is virtually flat for the year to date. The rise in yields that you spoke about uh, had a negative impact on Almost everything in the portfolio, it is an income-oriented portfolio after all, but bond prices fell across the board, and most interest rate-sensitive stocks, such as real estate investment trusts or REITs and utilities, lost value. The portfolio has a shorter-than-normal duration, which simply means that it's positioned to be less sensitive to changes in interest rates, and that was certainly good in this quarter, and it, it helped mitigate some of the effect of the rising rates, but there was no escaping the negative impact generally. Now, Connor Clark and Lund, the manager of the fund, saw the rise in yields as an opportunity to buy more U.S. bank bonds near the end of the quarter, and specifically Bank of America. And after trimming back on high-yield bonds and REITs early in the quarter, they were actively buying uh, right at the end. And and some of that didn't show up in the quarter-end statement, but uh, continued on into July. While we never like to see a decline in the value of a fund, uh, we really do view this rise in interest rates as a good thing. I don't mean to sound you know, cavalier and, 
and not be client sensitive, but the higher rates have shaken out some of the price distortions and speculation that was in the market and really put the markets and the fund on a much more solid footing going forward. Now we're still projecting modest returns for the bonds, even though we've had some of the interest rate risk shaken out of the market. And so as for positioning, the fund has 30% of its assets in dividend stocks and REITs, and the remaining 70% in bonds. And of that 70%, the focus is very much on corporates and provincial bonds. We own very few uh, federal government bonds. Scott, the equities? In spite of the volatility we've been referencing, the equity fund had a pretty respectable quarter. It was up 1.8% and is now up 7.6% for the year. This compares particularly favorably to the Canadian market, which is in negative territory so far this year. The focus in the fund continues to be on high-quality companies. These are businesses such as Starbucks, CVS Caremark, TD Bank, and Intact Financial. They're leaders in their industry, they generate strong cash flows, and are well-financed. Consumer-focused companies continue to be an important area of investment, along with Starbucks and CVS. These holdings include Unilever, Dairy Farm International, Mead Johnson, and FEMSA, which is a new holding this quarter. It's a Latin American retailer and beverage distributor. Commodities had a rough quarter, with the exception of oil. The fund's resource stocks have faced some headwinds this year in the form of excess supply, softening prices, and slowing demand from China. Yet the fund has minimal exposure to the highly volatile mining sector, and most of its holdings have held up reasonably well. The notable, the notable exception is Franco Nevada, the fund's only gold stock, which has fallen over 30% this year as the price of gold has plummeted. The spike in volatility in the quarter prompted some opportunistic purchases in the fund, and in fact, four new companies were added. Toramon Industries, which is a supplier of construction equipment and Caterpillar machinery. Intact Financial, which is Canada's leading property and casualty insurer. FEMSA, which I just highlighted. And TELUS, a name we're all familiar with. And TELUS was purchased late in June after investors overreacted, in CGOV's view at least, to news that Verizon is uh, seeking to enter the Canadian market. And to make room for the purchases, four holdings were sold, which we outline in the report. Foreign stocks have been important contributors to the fund's performance this year and continue to make up over 40% of the fund. In particular, CGOV has seen value in U.S. and international consumer stocks, which I mentioned earlier. And lastly, the cash position continues to remain higher than normal in the fund at about 9%. Well, as you've heard, the global stocks had a positive quarter on balance. Uh, the MSCI World Index uh, rose 4.4%. Our global fund gained 5.8% and is up just under 12% this year, making it our strongest performing fund. Now, as we noted in the report, the manager, Edinburgh Partners from Scotland, has a focus on cyclical companies, where expectations are unduly negative in their view, and prospects for profit growth are strong. Now, these companies compare to ones with more predictable earnings, which in Edinburgh's view have become quite expensive. So the cyclical stocks are starting to be recognized, and I think this is being reflected in the fund's stronger performance. Some examples of the kinds of companies we're, we're talking about are 
uh, Bridgestone, Dongfeng Motor, Johnson Controls, and Toyota, which are all auto-related. Uh, Panasonic and Yamaha Motor, both from Japan, uh, are certainly cyclical in nature and were among the fund's strongest performers of late. As far as Japanese investments go, several have rebounded sharply this year with gains of 40 to 50 percent, and the country remains a key area of investment, making up roughly a quarter of the portfolio. Technology stocks have been an area of strength. The fund's investments are focused in the U.S. mostly and on companies that generate ample cash, including Google, Cisco, Microsoft, Applied Materials, SanDisk, and Qualcomm. Edinburgh Partners feels these companies are well-positioned to benefit from a rebound in capital spending by companies that have been holding back on investing in equipment and technology because of concerns about the economy. As with our other funds, resource holdings have been an area of weakness. Fortunately, the portfolio has modest exposure to oil and gas and mining stocks, about 6% in total. From a geographic perspective, the fund continues to have an emphasis on Europe and Asia, and that's where the manager is finding companies that uh, have the best value. Now, in the report, we uh, review the purchases and sales, and I'll just give you a couple of highlights. Certainly, the volatility in the market created some activity. We had new holdings in the form of KDDI, one of Asia's leading telecom companies, and Tyco, the security system company. GlaxoSmithKline and Singapore Telecom were amongst the companies that were sold. Moving to small caps, the Canadian small cap market has had a rough go this year as the mining sector has been ravaged. Gold stocks in particular, which were down 35% as a group in the second quarter alone. There have been areas of strength, however, including the technology, industrial, healthcare, and consumer sectors. The BMO Small Cap Index, which is a proxy for the Canadian small cap market, fell 7.4% in the quarter and is down 6.3% year-to-date. The Small Cap Fund, on the other hand, returned 0.3% in the quarter and is up just under 4% so far in 2013. The fund's investments outside the resource sector have held up well. An example of a holding that has been thriving is Badger Daylighting, This is a company that specializes in non-destructive excavation. You may, in fact, have seen some of their hydrovac trucks around. Badger continues to turn in strong operating results and has been expanding nicely. The stock is up 50% this year and has doubled over the past 12 months. McDonald Detweiler, Stantec, and Iridium Communications have also performed well for the fund this year. Offsetting this has been the fund's resource holdings. Oil producers Coastal Energy and Transglobe Energy saw meaningful price declines in the spring. And even though the manager, Will Will Witherich, has largely steered clear of the mining sector, the fund's lone holding here, Primero Mining, dropped sharply as the price of gold tumbled. A notable purchase that we highlight in the report is Hawaiian Holdings, which is the parent company of Hawaiian Airlines. Many listeners may have flown on Hawaiian, which ranks as one of America's top carriers for service and performance. The manager likes the positioning of the company in what he feels is the early days of a recovery in tourism. The addition of Hawaiian increases the fund's U.S. exposure, it's now at about 30%, as well as its weighting in businesses that are more cyclical in nature. 
Witherich also continues to look at other opportunities following the recent market weakness. All in, the fund holds 17 stocks now, ranging from micro-cap to mid-cap holdings. Tom, do you want to pull it all together with comments on the Founders Fund? I think that's a good way to wind up because the Founders Fund is a fund of funds, so it's made up of these uh, funds we've just talked about. And, and to be clear, the heavy lifting in the Founders Fund is done by the managers of the funds. They do the security selection and portfolio construction. My role as, as manager of the Founders Fund is to do the fund allocation and also oversee the asset mix. Generally, it's my preference to keep the fund you know, somewhere near its 60-40 strategic asset mix, or what we call SAM at steady hand. But when I do see extremes, I will react, and, and indeed that's been the case so far in the fund's history. Now, before I get into that, I should just say the fund has got off to a very good start. You know, it was up 1% in the second quarter, and uh, over the last year is up just under 12%. As you've heard, the underlying funds performed well, and the positioning has been advantageous. Uh, we've had a full allocation to stocks and have particularly have been slanted towards foreign companies, which have done much better. We've had a minimum weighting in bonds. Indeed, uh, we finished the quarter at 23% of total assets, and uh, that was even reduced a little bit in the second quarter, and clearly with the weak bond market, that's played out well. Where that bond money has been redeployed has been in cash, and we increased the cash weighting slightly during the quarter to 17%. There's been lots of drama in June and interest rates went up, which was certainly meaningful, but I haven't yet changed any of the allocations. When I do, we'll let you know on our blog and in the new current thinking box on the homepage. So, Scotty, I think that's it for today. Thank you for listening and thanks for your confidence and steady hand.